Hello, everybody. My name is Bill Keever, and I want to welcome you to our podcast, Practical Wisdom from the Word of God. I believe the Bible is a book that God gave to us that's full of insights, wisdom, promises, and many other things that help us live daily life. So join me for the next few minutes as we look into the Word of God to find that practical wisdom we need today. Well, praise God and welcome again to Practical Wisdom from the Word of God. My name is Bill Kiefer, and I'm blessed that you decided to join us today. We've been talking about uh, what God spoke to me at the beginning of 2022, and that is that He has invested in His people, those that are born again, uh, a tremendous amount of potential, that we have tremendous potential to be all kinds of things uh, in life and in God's kingdom. We have tremendous potential to be wonderful husbands, fathers, mothers, uh, children, uh, wives, employees, whatever it may be, ministers of the gospel, if you're called to be a minister in some capacity or another. And of course, every one of us as believers are called to minister to the world around us. And so uh, we all have potential to do that. And God has invested that in us. And we've talked about various things related to that. And we've been dealing with this idea that faith, faith in God is about making a connection between what is inside us. We are, we are joined to God. Jesus lives in us. All of the promises of God are within us or the, the ability, capability to see them come to pass are within us. Making the connection between us, what's within us, and God and the supernatural and the natural realm. You know, God is involved and wants to be involved in what's going on here in the earth, but he's invested in us the ability or the responsibility to be the channels for that into the earth. Now, that's not to say that God can't work outside of us. God can do anything that he wants to do, but there are certain things he's chosen to do and certain ways he's chosen to work in the earth, and one of those is to work through people and the connection between he and the supernatural and us and the natural is called faith. When we make that connection, then there's a power flow that goes uh, through our lives into the world around us, and it involves our own circumstances, but it also involves the people that we need to minister to, and even our world. The Bible says pray for our leaders uh, as we pray for them by faith. And praying for our leaders is not, would you please get that guy out of office? Praying for our leaders is praying for their blessing, praying that God would speak to them, praying that God would move in their lives, even if they don't know him yet, that they can come to know him. And even if they never come to know him, that God can move through these leaders as we pray for them. That releases, that makes a connection between them and God. So all of these things are in play because we have that relationship with God in Christ. Now, We've been dealing with Romans chapter 4, and you know, every time I get a piece of equipment, uh, there's always two sets of instructions now, primarily, I guess, because most of us don't want to take the time to read through the whole set, but they've included something which is very helpful nowadays called a quick start guide. You read the quick start guide, and you can get the thing set up, you can get the thing connected, and get it basically working, and then if you want to learn more about it and know more of its capabilities, you can read through the whole manual. So Romans 4 is kind of a quick start guide to how this connection is made, how it's maintained, how it's developed, how it's kept pure, because all of those things are part of how much we're able to access God's power and the supernatural and the promises of God in our lives. And so Romans chapter 4 looks at, uh, looks at Abraham's life 
And Abraham had a promise from God. Now, we looked at a number of steps to this. And number one, you got to have a promise. You have to know what God said he will do or you can't believe it. And so God put into his book great and precious promises. He says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We need to find promises that apply to the things that we're believing God for. And that's what Abraham had. He, but he had a promise that was pretty difficult to believe, that at 75 when he got the promise and 100 when it, we saw it fulfilled, between those years, 25 years, uh, that, that he and his wife, who had never been able to have children, were going to have a child, and through that child, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That was the promise. And so Abraham had to believe that promise. He had to stand on that promise. He had to wait um, for the promise to come to pass, and it was a 25-year wait, but eventually it happened. How did he, first of all, make that connection? How did he maintain that connection? How did he stay strong in that connection until he saw it come to pass? And we've looked at a number of things. Number one, again, uh, Abraham had to have a promise. So we have to have a promise. Find a promise in the Word. There's all kinds of ways that you could you can find those promises. And then it says that uh, Abraham spoke in line with that promise. In the 17th verse of this chapter, it says God calls those things that are not as though they were, and that Abraham did that like God. He spoke in line with the promise. There was a lot for a long time about positive and negative confession, and I think positive confession is a good thing. I think it's better to speak positively than it is to speak negatively, but the power is really in speaking the Word of God and ordering our conversation in line with what God's promise says. So in other words, if I'm believing for healing and someone asks me, am I sick? I'm not going to say, no, I'm not sick. I'm going to say, thank God, God is working in my body. Thank God for healing, that he is my healer or something of that nature that's going to keep my language, keep my speaking in line with the promise. In James, it says that our tongue is the rudder that turns us in the proper direction. It can keep us focused where we need to be. It's part of that process. And that there are death and life in the power of words. God's words are powerful, and when we choose to speak them or speak in line with them, then we are releasing that power. Then we find out that um, that Abraham had to hope against hope. What does it mean to hope against hope or hope when there seems to be no hope? Abraham had no hope in the natural. There was no way that what God wanted to do in his life could happen. There was no way that he could have a child. His body was impotent. There was no way that his wife could conceive. She'd never conceived. And they were so old at that point. I mean, I've never heard of anybody 100 years old, any male 100 or woman 75 having a baby. I maybe heard about a couple in their 60s, but not that old and not that were uh, that were impotent and barren. So, uh, it's impossible. What does it mean to hope against hope or hope in faith? It says believing in hope and having faith in God when there's no natural hope. It means that we focus on a supernatural hope. Abraham knew that God was good for his word, and so his hope, or and that word hope involves possibility, the possibility that this thing could happen was in the promise of God itself. How did he hope against hope? How did he hope when there was no natural hope? He, he did not consider, the Bible says, his own body dead, or the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't think about it. The word consider means give weight to 
or give relevance to. He didn't consider that his body was totally incapable and his wife's body was totally incapable of having children to be relevant when looking at the promise of God. He considered the promise of more relevance than the deadness of his body. We need to look at our circumstance and say to it and to ourselves and to the devil, you are not relevant compared to. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. This is not Christian science here that I'm not really sick or I don't really have the problem. We talk to that problem or we consider that problem. We don't consider it in the sense of we look at that problem and we say you are not relevant in relation to the promise of God. God said he's going to do this, so what my condition now is is not relevant. It also means to to look at, to gaze intentionally, to look at thoroughly. Abraham didn't get up every day and 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 wonder what was going on in his body. I, you know, he didn't look and say, "Is is something happening today?" He didn't look at his wife and say, "Are you are you anything changing in your body today?" He didn't consider that. He didn't look at that. He didn't dwell on the fact that his body was still dead, that Sarah's body was still uh, incapable. But instead, he considered the promise. You cannot consider nothing. Your mind is going to consider. And the battleground of faith is the mind. That's what we're really going to talk about today. But Abraham chose to consider the promise, to think about the promise, to dwell on the promise, to look at the promise. Now, he didn't have the Bible the way we have it today, but he had heard from God. And whether he wrote it down or just had it in his memory, he had there was a vision that went with it. I think he thought about those things. I know he thought about those things and talked about those things and dwelt on those things. When people came to him and said, Abraham, don't you think this is a little silly for you to be believing for a child? He looked at them and said, I've got a promise from God and all of the rest of it doesn't make any difference. Well, how long is it going to be? It doesn't matter how long it's going to be. The promise of God is true. And so he did that and continued in that. But there is another side to this battle. There's another weapon, let me put it to you this way, that we can use when it comes to staying strong in faith. Now, in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, he said, uh, it says, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. How? How was he? He did not waver. That word waver is, is, uh, is kind of a big word. It's, it's, it's when we look one way and we look the other and we're this way one day and that way the next day. And that's a problem when, it, when we're talking about faith. The Bible says in James that we should, that let anyone who wavers not think they'll receive anything from God. We need to stay strong. We need to stay connected. And that's part of that connection. We need to stay connection, not break it, turn it on, turn it off, turn it on. We need to stay connected. We need that connection to be sure. We need it to be pure. We need it to stay as long as it needs to stay. And it says that Abraham did not waver through unbelief. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. He had focused on the promise. He had the promise. He was strengthened in faith. But how was he strengthened in faith? You know, I've been in this a really long time. I got saved uh, in 1967. I went into the ministry April 1st, 1st of 1978, and that's a long time ago, and we've learned many things. And early on, we we had our challenges. Well, well, we still do. Everybody does. 
but we especially had challenges in the area of finances because we didn't have a big organization behind us. God told us what we were supposed to do. We went to work with a friend of mine, and we were doing our best to build the kingdom, but money was not always easy to come by. And God early on taught us how to focus on a promise of God that he would meet all our needs according to his riches and glory. But I have to tell you, there have been many times over that period where in a given day, when a a given circumstance would arise, you know, when you get that unexpected bill, when that thing breaks down and you don't know how you're going to get the money to fix it, sometimes just to get the money for the rent or mortgage, depending on where we are, or food or the electric bill, whatever it might have been, there were days and don't don't look at me and judge me because you've had them too. There were days where although I knew the promise was real and I knew that God had done it before and I knew deep down inside that God would do it again, that my mind wanted to waver, you know? My mind wanted to go, but I don't know how you're going to do it this time. God, I know you did it before, but this is bigger. Look at how much money is involved. Well, when you have a promise, how much is not relevant to the promise? It's relevant to, to our ability to see how he could fulfill it, but it's not relevant to the promise. And so we needed to consider the promise. But what about those days when your mind's going nuts and everything in your head is telling you, you need to go out and do something in your own strength and maybe God will lead you. I'm not saying God won't lead you sometimes to do practical things to help bring that promise to pass, but I'm talking about when we get to that point of desperation and we just quit on the promise and say, well, you know, thank God that there's a promise, but I got to go do something to deal with this. Uh, When we get to that point, when we feel like the promise is not there, when we can't, when our hope is waning, and that's a big part, when we start looking at it and say, this is impossible, well, that means our hope is beginning to wane. And if our hope wanes, our faith has nothing to grasp. And so faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's really what the devil's after. He wants you to stop thinking that what God said he would do, he even could do. He can. There's a way. What is the way? I don't always know, but there's a way. And so what did Abraham do in order to stay strong? Not for 25 minutes, not for 25 days, not for 25 months, but for 25 years. How did he manage? And I I just simply don't believe he didn't have the days that we do sometimes. How did he manage to stay strong in faith, to be strengthened in faith? He gave glory to God. You know, for many years I've taught this. For many years I've I've uh, looked at this in the same way as kind of a quick start guide. And I would talk about giving glory to God, but I didn't really think of it as one of the steps. But you know, it really is one of the steps. It's maybe the most important step, although you really can't rate these steps. It is important. Our faith is going to be challenged. In James chapter 1, there's a a wonderful section of scripture that uh, I don't know about you if you've ever read it. I'm not too uh, happy reading it, but it's there anyway, and we've got to understand it. It says in James 1 verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Listen, when you decide that you're going to step out in faith and you're going to look past the natural and believe for things that 
are either not easily possible in the natural or completely impossible in the natural, the devil is going to try that. Your emotions are going to try your faith. Sometimes even God will say, listen, I need you. You know, he, he wasn't, it wasn't that the devil was delaying things for Abraham and Sarah. It was that God was, there was a timing in God. There was a timing in what God needed to do. There was a preparation at work. And sometimes God is delaying simply so that everybody knows it had to be him. During those times, whether it's the devil that's hindering us and keeping our answer from coming, or our own mind, our own emotions, or the circumstances, or if God is asking us to go through certain things to get to the point where he needs us to be and when He needs where he needs circumstances to be, in any case, there is going to be a waiting time. Mark eleven twenty four says, When you pray, believe you receive, and you shall have. Hallelujah. I like the you shall have. But in talking to our people about that, I like to tell them that when you pray, believe you receive means believe you receive it right now. But there's always going to be a period of time between believe you receive and you shall have. And that may be 25 minutes or 25 years, like in Abraham's case. But whatever it may be, we still have to stand through all that time and, and stay strong in faith like Abraham, nothing wavering. How did he do it? He gave glory to to God. Well, there's a couple of aspects of glory to God. One aspect of giving glory to God, I should say, is the aspect of being thankful. Thankful not just for what he's done. You know, I, I, I have a, a teaching on Thanksgiving that I feel like is, is important. It's been important in my life, and that is that in the natural, we see Thanksgiving as simply a response. Somebody does something, and we say, oh, thank you. Uh, God does something in our lives, and we say thank you, and well, we should. But thanksgiving in the realm of the Spirit is not just a response. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, uh, Paul makes this statement. He says, be anxious for nothing. Isn't that a description of that battle that goes on in our minds when things don't look like they're happening, when we're having to press through circumstances and situations and we're waiting for God to do what he said he'd do. Isn't that, we get anxious, we get fearful, we get worried in our mind. Paul says, be anxious, fearful, worried for nothing. How are we going to do that? He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When we pray, we need to begin to thank God for the answer. Well, what if we haven't seen it? What if it's like Abraham? And it takes 25 years before we see that thing come to pass. We start giving thanks when we pray. We don't stop giving thanks until we see it. And then when we see it, we give thanks again. But our thanksgiving prior to what seeing what we prayed for becomes a weapon. It reaches into the realm of the spirit. It affects things. It actually draws to us uh, the results that we're seeking. It keeps us focused on the promise and not on the circumstances. Thanksgiving is an important part, and thanksgiving is part of giving glory to God, giving him praise, giving him thanksgiving, giving him worship. Worship, praise, thanksgiving, and worship are all shades of a similar thing, but when we get to that worship, that's where we're in deep fellowship with God. The more time we can spend in fellowship with him, worshiping him, thanksgiving, some say it this way, and I think it's good, thanksgiving is giving God thanks for what he's done or what he's going to do, and worship is giving God 
attention for who he is. Hallelujah. So important for us to do that. All of that's involved in giving glory to God. So the first thing you need to do, you prayed, you got that promise, begin to thank God for it. When the uh, challenge comes to your mind, say, no, 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 Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that your word is true, that you will do what you said you'd do and keep doing that. And another aspect of giving glory to God, my wife has a wonderful illustration. I think she got it from somebody else, but I got it from her, so I'll credit her. And that is to magnify the Lord. That's a, that's a term in the Bible, uh, Psalm 34.3 says, oh, let's magnify the Lord. And so what does it mean to magnify the Lord? Well, it means the same thing it means to magnify anything else. When you magnify something, you make it bigger. And she likes to talk about looking through the right and wrong end of either a, a pair of binoculars or a telescope. You look it through the right end of a telescope, and it magnifies what you're looking at. Something far away looks closer. It looks bigger. There's more detail. You can see, like you may see somebody a long way off, but if you look at them through a magnification device, binoculars, telescope, you, you might not be able to tell who it is from a long way off, but if you can see them through that enough magnification enough magnification. Boy, that just hit me. You got to make sure you got enough magnification. If you see them through enough magnification, you can tell who it is. You can tell what's going on. You can see the detail. But if you take that same device and you turn it around, what happens? Well, what you're looking at doesn't get closer. It doesn't have more detail. It doesn't get bigger. What you're looking at gets smaller. It looks farther away. You see less detail. And so many times what we do through our giving attention to the problem, giving words to the problem, talking about the problem, we magnify the problem instead of magnifying the Lord. So we look at the problem through the right end of the telescope or the binoculars, and it looks bigger and bigger. We can see more details, all the ways that God won't do what he said or can't do in my life what he said he'd do. We know he can, but we just aren't too sure he's going to do it for us. And so we magnify the problem. We look through it through the wrong, uh, the right end of the telescope. And then when we look at God, we look through the wrong end of the telescope and he looks farther and farther away. There's less and less detail to the promises of God. There's less and less recognition of what God can do and is doing. And so what do we need to do? We need to magnify God and, and not magnify the problem. How do we magnify God? We praise him, just what we talked about. We give thanks to him. We consider the promise. That's all part of the process. We continue to speak of God, to speak about his word, to, to declare who he is, to declare his greatness, to spend time in worship, communing with him so that we have that sense of connection with him in our heart. All of those things are involved in magnifying God. But when we spend time talking about the problem, thinking about the problem, uh, uh, communing with the problem, if you will, that's what worry is all about, isn't it? We think about it and worry about it and commune with the problem until the problem gets so big we cannot see the answer. When we magnify God, we will be able to see that not only can God do the thing he said he'd do, but he will do the thing that he said he'd do. This is so important. Uh, it's very dif difficult to defeat a person who is thankful or who magnifies the Lord. And Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Oh, magnify the Lord. And uh, let's, let's, I'm going to go there and just read it just 
so that we get it right. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's not the magnify one, that's the praise one. Be thankful to him and bless his name. I want you to know a person who is thankful and a person who's magnifying God is very difficult to beat. Now, he stayed strong. How did he stay strong? It says magnifying God, but I want to kind of expand on that from our own experience as human beings and say it this way. Abraham stayed strong because when his faith was challenged, that's when he got aggressive about magnifying the Lord and giving glory to God. We need, when we're under trial, we need to get aggressive in magnifying the Lord. You know, uh, I pastored a church for a very, very long time, particularly I pastored three of them, the last one for 30 years. And that last one we built on uh, a number of spiritual foundations that had become real to me over developing uh, my life and ministry in the first two. I used to tell the people in the third one, you're a product of my mistakes. But one of the things we did in our third church is we made praise and worship a focal point. Someone prophesied over us at one time that when the praise and worship was high, the church would be high. When the praise and worship went down, the church would go down. And so we just made praise and worship and particularly not eliminating worship, but sometimes people right now seem to elevate worship above praise. Listen, they are both very important, and we had many times of worship, but we did not neglect to praise God, because that's the time you're declaring what he can do, what he will do, who he is, what he is. It's so powerful. It's a, it's a big part of how we magnify the Lord. And I used to tell our people, because we would praise and worship God for anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour at every service that we had. And that may seem long, but it was not just a time of singing or shouting or, or you know, that sort of thing, but it was a time of actually doing something. We were praising God. We were giving glory to God. We were minimizing the problems, maximizing uh, Him and His solutions. And so I would tell our people, in this 45 minutes to an hour, you can't do anything to change your problems. You know, people would come into church just like everywhere else, and even I would come into church sometimes with things on my mind and problems, and I would have to tell myself, you can't change that right now, but what you can do is you can magnify God. You can praise God. You can do battle in the Spirit. And as you do that, it clears away a lot of the, the, the clutter. It clears away the, the, the dirt in the pipe, if you will, that keeps the connection from flowing. It causes us to magnify God. He, by the end of that service, would look bigger. People would have a, a different outlook on things than they did when they came in. It's such an important thing, and we need to get aggressive with it. Well, how long do we need to do this? In Romans 8, 38, Paul said, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He says, for I am persuaded. And going back to our list of scriptures from Romans chapter 4, if we get to the end of that, after he says, he gave glory to God 
And this is why, this is the point of his giving glory. He said, and being fully convinced, same word, the old King James used the same word, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. He did it until he got persuaded. Paul would give glory to God until he was persuaded. What does persuaded mean? It means fully convinced, totally sure that God was going to do it. And you know, that persuaded, uh, I like the idea of persuaded because someone else is usually, or something else is what persuades you to a point of view. We need to give glory to God. We need to concentrate on the promise. We need to not consider the, the circumstance until we get to the place where we're so convinced that nothing, 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 nothing can change our mind that God is going to do what he said he'd do. That doesn't mean there may not be pressures against our mind. That may not. That doesn't mean we may not have certain days where we don't feel as persuaded as we are, but you get to a point deep down inside. That's where I always checked. I'd have you know issues in my mind that was, how was God going to do this? And, and sometimes wondering if it was the will of God and not necessarily the financial realm, but other things that we were doing. And, uh, and I would take time I would quiet myself and I would look to that place on the inside where I was persuaded. And at that moment, I would come back and say, no, no, God's word is true. God said it and he's going to do it. And that's what Abraham did for all those years. He concentrated on the fact that God would do what he said he'd do. And I like verse 23. I was looking at that today. It says, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, that is, that righteous was was imputed to him, but also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus from the dead, uh, raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and raised up for our justification. Now this is obviously talking about salvation. But this process that Abraham did to receive his promise is the same process that works in our lives. First of all, uh, we need to apply this to salvation because the devil will challenge salvation. Say, well, you know, with all you did, you're not saved. Listen, you had a promise that when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, that your sins are forgiven and you are saved. Hallelujah. But I believe that this process also works for any promise. The whole chapter is about a promise. And so he says, this isn't written for you, uh, for Abraham alone. This is for you too. This is for me too. So if I have a promise that I'm believing God for, if there are some things that I've been believing God for a very long time, some even longer than Abraham was for Isaac, but I am fully persuaded that God is going to do what he said because I continue to give glory to God. I continue to focus on the promise that I have my days just like you do. And don't let a day where you stumble or fall or make a mistake or, you know, the wrong things come out of your mouth. Don't let uh, those kind of things stop you. God easily forgives that. He's not looking at just one thing. We said this about speaking. He's looking for the pattern of our life. That's what is important, not what we do in a moment uh, where we are weak. But the more that we give glory to God, the more that we focus on the promise, the more that we thank him, the more that we magnify him, the more we're going to see he's God. He can do it. There's nothing he can't do. And since he loves me and since he gave me this promise— He'll do it for me. Hallelujah. How he's going to do it is up to him. I'm sure in those 25 years, Abraham wondered, uh, how in the world is this going to come to pass? We know from Genesis 15 that he had questions. He said, listen, I don't have any kids. You're telling me that my descendants 
are going to bless the world. All I got is a slave born in my house. And uh, how is this going to happen? And so God gave him the promises, gave him later on the covenant. But he had his days. But even though he had his days, the more he focused on God, the more he magnified God, the more he focused on the promise, the more persuaded he became that that promise was going to come to pass. You may have to wait. And how God's going to do it, I started to say that a moment ago, but how God's going to do it is up to God. When God's going to do it is up to God. I believe that God is never late. So if, even if it seems like he's late, trust me, he's not. In the end, it's going to work out the way it needs to work out, and the promise of God will come to pass in your life. Well, God bless you. This is for you. This is for your life today. Have a wonderful day in the Lord, and we'll talk to you again soon. This podcast is an outreach of Living Word International, a division of Intercession Ministries. If you'd like to contact us, please email livingwordintgreen at gmail.com. That's livingwordintgreen, G-R-E-E-N-E, at gmail.com. Have a great day.